Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov slash careers. Blog Talk Radio. Hello and welcome to the Major League Fantasy Baseball Radio Show here on Blog Talk Network. I am your host, Cole Friel, coming at you on Thursday, uh, May 16th. We are live. Um, It's been a good week for baseball. Uh, On today's show, we will be talking uh, recent injuries, recent news. We will also be covering uh, some of the most recent trends in hitters in May. Um, We will also be dealing with some streamers, maybe look ahead to these these upcoming weekend series. we got a busy show ahead of you. Uh, before we get all, into all that, I'd like to bring in my co-host, Kyle Amore. Uh, Kyle is a writer on MajorLeagueFantasySports.com alongside myself. Um, he is also a former collegiate and semi-professional uh, pitcher. Uh, welcome to the show, Kyle. Uh, anything you'd like to start us out with or, or how you doing today? I don't know. I'm doing well. A uh, good time of the year for baseball. I kind of, I started to get excited when we get closer, or actually I shouldn't say closer, but teams finally start talking about potential trade targets. And of course we know one big name that we'll get to later, who's already, uh, his name's come up a bunch of times. Uh, but other than that too, just getting ready for the draft. So I've been trying to break down some of the uh, prospects that will be drafted here coming up in the next month or two. So looking forward to that. Yeah, I'm going to guess that the, the prominent name is probably Madison Bumgarner, and I think one thing when we talk about that a little later that's going to be interesting uh, is, is maybe the idea of not necessarily uh, who those names are, uh, but why uh, those names are there and why they're there on his no-trade list. Um, but before we, we get into our news and injuries, I'd like to remind our audience about our partner, Thrive Fantasy Sports. Uh, Thrive Fantasy offers a, a different model and a different style of game to the traditional um, salary-based daily fantasy sports game. Uh, Thrive offers uh, prop bets instead. You can go to thrivefantasy.com or go to majorleaguefantasysports.com and click the Thrive Fantasy link. Uh, if you put in the promo code MLFS, they will match your first $10. Again, that's Thrive Fantasy Sports, uh, thrivefantasy.com, and the promo code MLFS. Um, and then uh, if, you like to, if you're a fantasy football player, we have openings in our 2019 Fantasy Football Leagues. These are competitive leagues, so uh, we try to find the right fits and try to look as early as possible to find these fits. Uh, if you, you feel like you would be a fit, you can email Corey D. Roberts at MajorLeagueFantasySports at gmail.com. That is MajorLeagueFantasySports at gmail.com for 2019 Fantasy Football League entries. Um, and then if you like the work we do here, uh, again, me and Kyle both work as writers for MajorLeagueFantasySports.com, and we both uh, co- uh, host and co-host this show. 
uh, every Thursday. If you like the work we do here, you can go to patreon.com slash Major League Fantasy Sports, uh, and you can donate. Uh, that's patreon.com slash Major League Fantasy Sports. Um, so, so first things first, like always, we will start uh, with some of the most recent injuries and news. Um, we talked about it a little bit before the show, but uh, every week when I look through uh, MLB trade rumors and, and try to find the, the things that we're going to talk about uh, that are new for, from the last show, I think one one topic usually really sticks out to me. I think this week it is the call-ups of Brendan Rodgers, uh, middle infielder for the Colorado Rockies, and Austin Riley, um, used to be at least considered a, an infielder uh, for the Atlanta Braves. Uh, what, are, what are your thoughts on, on these two players, both in terms of fantasy impact uh, and in terms of their likelihood to play, where they're going to play, you know, how, how they're going to play, how likely they are to stay up, and, and those kind of issues? Uh, Kyle? Yeah, it's been a long time coming for Brendan Rodgers. Um, way back to you know when he was drafted back in 2015, third overall pick. Uh, I remember uh, writing an article on that when uh, he was selected. So I've been anxiously awaiting. And I mean, the great thing about him, and you know, I've, I've brought this up many, many times. A lot of these guys can play anywhere on the field. Uh, Brendan Rodgers brings that ability to play all, you know, first base, or excuse me, second base, shortstop, third base. I wouldn't be surprised if he could play some left field too if need be. But, uh, uh, I mean, right now we'll see him uh, filling in the middle infield there. So uh, it's good to see. Um, One thing that I've been happy with for him is just what he's really done in the PCL at AAA Albuquerque so far this season. I mean, he's been absolutely raking nine home runs, 21 RBIs. And, you know, one of the things about him uh, uh, in in the minor leagues, you know, he's always had a solid average, but it was never, you know, anything too crazy. I I mean, even his on base was, was always, you know, pretty reasonable and nothing crazy either. But I mean, on the season, you know, with his flash on that triple A, he at three fifty six, four twenty one, six forty four. So, you know, that's been great to see. Uh, I'm I'm really excited for that. Uh, you know, unfortunately in a few weeks I don't own him in any league, so that's pretty disappointing, but I do expect big things and I mean the thing about him, the power, real. It's always been real, it's always going to be real. So I, I really think that he does possess that thirty home uh thirty home run bat. So um Again, finally, he's here, and, and we're going to get to see it. Uh, on the other side, going over to Atlanta with Austin Riley, too. Uh, his first game yesterday uh, was out in the outfield, and he did get a home run. So that was that was pretty exciting for him. Uh, another player, too. I mean, over time, I wouldn't be surprised if we do see him take over third base. I mean, Josh Donaldson's on that one-year deal, and, you know, Austin Riley is their third baseman of the future. So it's only a matter of time before he, he takes over that position full-time. We're looking more towards uh, next season. You know, once Donaldson's uh, out of a contract, I, I highly doubt they would look to re-sign him. But uh, uh, another player, too, that's had a monster, monster, monster season at Triple A Gwinnett, I mean, we're, we're not really like a month month into the season, a little over a month, and he has 15 home runs uh, already. So that is absolutely crazy. He has been crushing the ball. Um, one thing about him, I feel that at, at times, you know, he has shown uh, a little inconsistency in terms of pitch selection and, and getting overly eager. Uh, but so far this season, I feel like he has been able to, 
to keep it in check for the most part, which I, I, I do like. But uh, another player, too, once he gains that outfield eligibility, you can you know play him at third or outfield. It's, it's going to be another solid selection. And the two guys, both of these guys, have tremendous upside in terms of power. Yeah, it's uh, it's really interesting because uh, at one point I think we were talking about Austin Riley at third base, Brendan Rodgers at shortstop. Um, Trevor Story's breakout obviously uh, brought some doubt in, in, into Brendan Rodgers, um, at, at least in terms of you know being at that position in the future. I think a lot of people shifted into thinking about him as the future second baseman. Um, you know, it's interesting the Josh Donaldson uh, conversation because I think they've talked about wanting to re-sign him, and I think there's there's reasons to want to re-sign him in terms of uh, he's still a good player, he's still going to take walks, uh, he's still showing the ability to hit for uh, a very above average uh, power. I mean, 382 OBP and 474 slug is nothing uh, to sneeze at, especially when uh, you know maybe his glove's going downhill as well at 33 years old, but it's probably still solid at the very least. Uh, my concern is obviously the fact that uh, he's striking out more and more. You know, in 2016, he was at 17%, and that, that number has jumped to 22.4, then 24.7, and now so far through 40 games. This year, it's at 27.9%. The last two years for Josh Donaldson have shown uh, precipitous drops in, in his decontact rate, uh, and that would make me wary to re, uh, re-sign him if I'm Atlanta. I think a lot has to do with how this Atlanta team does and how specific pieces of this Atlanta team do, uh, does like Austin Riley. I think if Austin Riley plays really well this year, I think he, he will he will be able to play as well way into a consistent uh role next year. Uh and, and I think the the consistent place could be third base uh, replacing Josh Donaldson. Uh, and again we talked about uh we talked first off we talked about the triple A balls being different earlier uh in the season, but uh so maybe that factors into how well these two are doing in triple A so far this year. But I mean Austin Riley fifteen home runs already this year uh, and exactly half as many plate appearances uh, as he had last year when he only had 12 uh, at that level in AAA. Uh, Brendan Rodgers slashing 356, 421, 644. Both these guys off to uh, incredible, incredible starts. Um, we'll move on to uh, uh, Texas Rangers and another call-up, but this one a little different, a little bit more uh, post-hype potentially. Uh, Elvis Andrews was was put on the injured list, uh, and that made way for Willie Calhoun, who is active, and through his first 12 plate appearances, uh, he has six hits and two home runs, including a four-hit game today uh, with a home run. You know, it's interesting to me because, first off, Willie Calhoun is a post-hype sleeper, but I think what's interesting about Willie Calhoun, again, comes down to the fact that uh, his evaluation, even for fantasy, has always been tied to his complete lack of defensive position. Um, and, and because I think when, when you really look at it, if Willie Calhoun was the kind of guy who could really glove second base or something like that, I think we would have always looked at him as a guy where it's like, just give him a little bit of time. He'll get there eventually. He's a solid player. The problem is that because Willie Calhoun doesn't have a very good position, and in a lot of people's minds, his best future is at DH. Um, he has to possess a bat that is not just average to stick as as a quality player on a 25-man roster. He has to be uh, far ex- uh, far exceed average because he, he provides nothing uh, on the other side of the ball. Uh, and I think that's why the hype in the first place was never quite as high uh, for a quality hitter like him. And I think now that we're in post-hype, I think we've given up on him so so quickly because of that. Um, but the real fact of the matter is that we've always projected the stick to be pretty well 
pretty good. And, and in baseball, it's been proven time and time again uh, that if you can hit, someone will give you an opportunity to hit. Um, you know, so so far this season, it's it's very small sample size, but but he is hitting a lot better. Um, again, AAA balls are a little bit different this year. We're talking about a third straight player absolutely dominating that dominating that level. But in his first 138 plate appearances, Willie Calhoun has eight home runs. He is walking more than he's striking out. He's slashing 300, 400, 500 type line, um, you know, above above those thresholds at, at every station. So uh, Willie Calhoun is an interesting post-hype sleeper, especially in deeper leagues, but, but even potentially in shallower leagues because, you know, not a good lineup, not a lot of speed, so, so that obviously hinders, hinders the upside. But this is a bat that has legitimate batting average and home run upside. Um, and ultimately, the war concerns and defense concerns don't really hurt you in fantasy that much. Um, how, how do you feel about this Texas Rangers situation with, with Andrews on the injured list and, and Willie Calhoun being called up? Yeah, I, I, I like it because he's finally getting – the opportunity, I, again, I feel like in the past, you know, like you mentioned, too, I, I mean, he was always uh, known as, as a guy with with a plus hit tool. Defensively, it was a question of where would he play? Would he play second base? Would he play in the outfield? Where exactly were they, where would they uh, play him? But, you know, even, even playing for an American League team like this, I feel it gives him a lot of different options. Again, if he needs to play in the infield, he can play in the infield. If you need to stick him in a corner outfield spot, you can stick him in a corner outfield spot, say one day you want him to DH, uh, you know, so be it. So, you know, that that's, uh, that is a plus there. Um, but at the same time, again, I mean, still young. He's still only 24 years old. I think, uh, you know, when he first got his call, uh, when he was traded over to Texas from the Dodgers back in 2017, it was just such a small sample size. Because again, that was a late call up last season. You know, he was up. Uh, for a little bit of time, but he was striking out 25% of the time, and that's something they wanted to, you know, really see him work on, cut down on those strikeouts. And then, you know, the spring training when they decided to send him down, I know he was absolutely pissed about it. I remember reading court, uh, reports that, you know, and, and, and rightfully so. I mean, when, when you know you're ready and you have nothing left to prove, and, you know, you, you and even though you, your numbers may not, you know, say a whole lot during spring training, but, you know, we know not to really, you know, buy in that, into that a whole lot. And he was disappointed. And like I said, rightfully so. But now he is going to get that uh, um, opportunity again with that Andrews going down. And like you said, so far, you know, what he's done in, in a small sample size has been great. So, you know, long overdue, 24 years old still. And you know, he could be arguably one of one, one of the better uh uh, call-ups this season just because he is going to be playing his home games in Texas, too. And we all know what what kind of uh, ballpark that is for hitters. Yeah, and I mean, you know, we need to be clear here, or at least, you know, because it is two games. You know, we're not saying that Willie Calhoun has, has completely changed as a player for sure or, or completely overreacting to these two games. But I do think there is something to uh, normal react to in what he's done so far between AAA and the majors. Um, I mean, for one, we've never seen him walk higher than, I think, 8.7%. I think that's as high as at any level if you ignore uh, rookie ball. Um, he's walking 15.9% of the time so far this year. Uh in, in AAA. So, you know, he's always been someone who I think has had a decent control of the strike zone. And I think we've seen that through his, through his hit tool, uh, producing a low, a low K percentage. Um, but, but he hasn't necessarily been the most 
uh, willing to take a walk, and he's sometimes frustratingly uh, potentially avoided the walks at times based on some of his uh, walk percentages at various levels. Um, if he, if this patient approach and ability to wait for pitches is uh, maybe a bit more, you know, indicative of what we are to see moving forward for Willie Calhoun, I think I think that's certainly a positive. Uh, last and a relatively minor uh, transaction note: uh, Heimer Candelario, uh, a player that both you and I know uh, as a former Cub uh, who came up through our organization. I believe he was traded for like Justin Wilson, Alex Avila, or something along those lines. But he was optioned slash demoted. Uh, I've only officially heard he was optioned, but I'm sure he'll be playing in AAA very soon because I'm sure he has uh, options and and all that left. But uh, regardless of that, uh, a player that to some extent last year had some hype, this year maybe a little bit of post-hype for some people, a switch hitter, a guy who had some prospect profile, but – uh, certainly uh, has been disappointing this year. Uh, any any thoughts on, on the former Cub, Hammer Candelario? So, I mean, he's striking out at, at a crazy rate. I mean, it's up there over 30%, and that's never a good sign. But uh, with him now, um, he, he, I mean, he, he needs it's, – it's, it's, it's going to be one of those things where the struggles – are so great at the major league level that the best thing for them to do was to send him down this way. He can relax. You know, he can work on things in the minors there. Have more one-on-one with, with hitting coaches down there. Cause you got to remember too, I feel, uh, you know, in the minors, these coaches are going to be more hands-on than at the major league level. So, you know, he'll get more of that. And you know, he is a switch hitter too. And because of that, I wouldn't be surprised if we see him, uh, uh, maybe focus more on one way or another because he's struggling from both sides of the plate. It's not like he's doing more right-handed compared to left-handed. He's really struggling from both sides. So, you know, this could be one of those things where we do see him when he does get called back up at some point, you know, really start to hit one or, or the, one way or the other, however he feels most comfortable. And I mean, you got to remember, too, when you're struggling and you're working with a switch hitter, a lot different, totally different than – than when we're, we're we're talking about a guy that bats you know one or the other. So again, uh, strikeouts are his main issue. Like more than likely, going look well looking at it too, just having issues too with off speed pitches and getting behind in the zone. So you know work on really going up there, bettering your approach, trying to set yourself up for success. And and, and by doing that, I mean you can't go up there and consistently fall behind in the zone. And I mean, if you look at his first pitch strike, it's, it's it's way up there. And, you know, that's just one thing you can't have. So again, the talent is there. It's never been a question of that. And and we know what he can do in terms of, you know, power two and still only 25 years old. So he is still, you know, he's still young. He hasn't really even gotten into his prime years yet. So, you know, again, go down, work on things, clear your head, get everything, uh, you know, uh, sorted out, especially mechanical and, you know, like I said, I wouldn't be shocked if when he does come up, we see him finally decide whether or not you're going to hit righty or lefty because right now he's all out of whack and, and, and switch hitting is just doesn't seem like it's going to do him any favors. Yeah, it's interesting you bring that up. Uh, one of the things I noticed about Candel- uh, Candelario in the offseason, and it hasn't ha- hold, held up uh, so far this year. As you said, he's struggling on both sides. Um, but he was last year significantly better uh, in the full season against lefties than he was against righties. Uh, against lefties, uh, again, it's a smaller sample because of the nature of how many people are left-handed against right-handed even in the game of baseball. 
but against lefties, he hit uh, 291 over the course of 163 plate appearances, uh, a 291, 356, 486 slash. That's a very good line, 291, 356, 486. Uh, against right-handers, uh, again, 456 plate appearances, but a 199, 303, 358 uh, slash line. So, I mean, based on those numbers, if if he were to go the one swing route, you would have to imagine that they would try out and hit his right-handed swing. Um, but it, it is certainly interesting to see. Um, he, he's never been the the high high end prospect. He's been more of the guy who's uh, consistently moved up and gotten to the point where he was he was close to MLB ready. And most people thought he would just be a, a solid bat at the least. Um, hasn't hasn't panned out to that extent so far, and it'll be interesting to see if he can, uh, as I believe the Tigers brass put it, with this move, uh, get his head straight in AAA. But but we'll move on. Uh, you know, we we briefly mentioned uh, Elvis Andrews to the injured list, but but more so we'll move on to to some other injury news. Um, a lot to cover with the Yankees, or at least a lot of things we talked about covering with the Yankees. So I'll just uh, throw it all out there and see, uh, you know, what what your thoughts are on some of these topics. Um, Aaron Judge, Giancarlo Stanton, are we going to see these guys back before the All Star break, or or when we're going to see when are we going to see them back? Um, you know, these are guys that if you draft them, if you suggested people draft them like I did and was very high on both of them, uh, you got them because you thought you were safe and getting a lot of home runs and uh, losing those home runs uh, is probably hurting you uh, a decent bit if you weren't able to uh, snag uh, an excess of power later in the draft. Um, Luis Severino, I believe we said that, uh, or we said that we saw a report that uh, Brian Cashman himself said that he wouldn't be back uh, until after the all-star break. Uh, and then Miguel Andujar, uh, season-ending surgery on his shoulder. Uh, and this one I'm actually going to mention really briefly just because, you know, you and I talked about this one back when Miguel Andujar tore his labor initially and they said he was going to do rehab. Um, and I think the prominent point to mention again is that, you know, there was a reason that we were so negative on the ability for Andujar if I'm remembering correctly, to have value for the rest of the year with this torn labrum because, uh, you know, even the rehab, you're, you're coming back and you're hoping that the hitter can continually um, generate power uh, while coming back from a short-term rehab from a torn labrum surgery. It's just, you know, anytime I see a torn labrum for a player in a redraft league, I will pretty much immediately accept a trade for, you know, a quarter on the dollar, you know, almost anything I can get because I, I do think that more often than not the, this this torn labrum uh, or, or major soldier, sh- shoulder injuries like it uh, are going to end in either season-ending surgery or just continuous struggles throughout the rest of the year. Um, and I think this Andujar situation is one, uh, Miguel Andujar situation is another one where we have to mark it in our brains and remind ourselves uh, when someone said, oh, he'll rehab and we'll still get something out of him, uh, and that just didn't end up being true. He, he came a, bit, a little bit, he struggled, he clearly wasn't right, uh, and then it ended up being a delayed surgery. But uh, anything to to add to, to Andujar, or what do you think about that Andujar situation, any of the other Yankee situations? Uh, also, Aaron Hicks, I believe, is either back or about to come back, uh, so that that's uh, one to talk about potentially with the uh, New York Yankees. I mean, the Andahar thing is just screwy to me. I, I, I don't understand it. I, I mean, you, you remember 
you know, the speech I went on about when it comes to Tommy John surgery and, and, and what the Anaheim Angels have done in the past in, in terms of their pitchers. We've seen so many of them. Here's the thing. We're not starfish. You know, this, this, the, the, the ligaments like that, we're, they're not going to heal on their own. It just does not happen like that. And we can't regenerate things that are torn like that. It's just not possible. So what they were thinking is beyond me. I get it's an investment. I understand they've gone through, um, you know, a lot of injuries to start off the season with. And I also understand that, you know, at the, the last possible thing they want to do is have surgery. But, again, we're talking about a labrum tear here. And it's going to affect, you know, it's going to affect them in different ways. I mean, look, at, we already saw it in the playoffs in, in basketball. Paul George, when he had his shoulder injury, he wasn't able to, he was ineffective. You know, we've seen it with pitchers, Johan Santana in the past as well. You know, we, you can see it in any sport. And, you know, I, I mean, you can look at Drew Brees way back when, when he tore his uh, rotator cuff, if I'm not mistaken. And, you know, he, he had a surgery on that. The thing is, you cannot be – effective with a tear like that, especially in your shoulder. I mean, most of these guys, when they tear their labrum as a rotator cuff, they have trouble putting a shirt on over their head. You know, and, and to expect a guy to be able to play the hot corner like that, get throws off quick, be able to move, and, you know, say someone drops down a button, uh, barehand the ball there, it, it's just not going to work. And then, I mean, hitting is a whole other thing. So for them to even, you know, try to, to rehab it, I, I just think that was kind of dumb because now what? He could have had potential – Ultimately, he could have had the surgery two months ago, already began rehab, and, and now he's not even to that point. You know, so he's, he's still – I don't know if they put a date on when he's going to have the surgery or not, but, you know, it is – it's going to come, and it, or it'll be here soon. And, you know, hopefully hopefully he's ready by the start of uh, spring training next year. I, I don't really know, you know, how long the uh, – the rehab is, but I do know uh, shoulder injuries like that and shoulder surgeries are a lot nastier than elbow injuries because you just don't know if someone's going to come back. And, you know, I, I brought this up before too. Think about guys like Johan Santana, Brandon Webb, Mark Pryor, guys that ultimately their careers were ultimately done just because of uh, labrum tears. So hopefully that's not the case. And we are talking about a position player here. So, you know, it is different, but uh, Luis Severino too, um, I'm starting to think it's a little bit more serious uh, than they initially thought, too. And, you know, it, it's kind of a mystery now because we really don't know. They're saying he's going to probably be out till the second half of the season. I'm starting to think, too. I don't know if you remember, uh, I'm going to say maybe eight years ago now, six, seven, eight years ago, I, I believe that's when this pitcher had that surgery. But uh, there was an issue that Jake Peavy had, and it, it, it started out, with just a lat injury, and I think it was like up higher up towards his, you know, his, his scapula more. So, you know, with, with this saying, there's a significant strain in, in you know, in, in his lat muscle. I wonder if it was one of those tears too higher up in his in, in his back, similar to what Jake Peavy had. And you know, at the time when Jake Peavy had that surgery, no other pitcher had had it, and let alone come back from it, if I'm not mistaken. So, you know, again, something to monitor. But the fact that he's not even throwing yet and you know and, and they shut him down for however many weeks that's not a good sign that's a serious 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 issue going on here and then and, and, and I mean you you kind of I, I don't want to beat the dead horse but with you know Stanton and Judge Stanton was getting ready to come back then you know started to have his own uh, uh, issues after rehabbing from that strain for our bicep and you know Judge too um they said he's going to be shut down for an extended period of time. So hopefully there's no tear in his side that he's dealing with. But, I mean, again, 
when you put all your stock into two power hitters like that, which I know there are a lot of fantasy players out there that did. I know I own them both in, in different leagues too. It, it's difficult, really difficult. And I mean, if, if, if this team can get them both back after the all-star game healthy, I don't know if they'll ever be a hundred percent healthy during this current season, but if they can get them back even 80, 85%, it'll almost be like a, a deadline acquisitions for the Yankees. So, yeah, I'm hoping for it. But again, we just don't know. And I think that's one of these things is these issues are more severe than just little minor strains that you, it's just hard to put a, t- uh, a timetable on. Yeah. Um, you know, the thing about the judge Stanton situation, um, you know, owners again, looking for the power they're going to be looking for uh, until they come back. Uh, hopefully they can come back. But I mean, as a Stanton owner, I thought I'd have them back by, you know, not necessarily by now, but I thought I'd be really get close to tasting it. Uh, as you said, he had a rehab assignment, at, uh, Giancarlo Stanton recently. Um, and, and he started feeling some things. It's getting pushed back. So uh, it's hard to feel confident about that. Um, and then, you know, touching uh, one last time on this Andujar thing, you know, it, it's it's really easy to think about once you actually sit down and think about it, because uh, not just in baseball, but in, in all sports, as you were saying, uh, or at least most of our major sports, um, you know, your range of motion with your shoulder, with your rotator cuff, is, is such a vital uh, part of any, of anything you do. And when it comes to especially hitting and pitching, uh, it's also a very technical part about the specific way that you're moving uh in your mechanics and if your shoulder has you know significant even pain in it uh i i think those are the kind of seasons that we get where uh you know a hitter comes out and he hits 250 with 20 home runs when we were expecting him to hit 280 with 30 home runs uh and i and i think that's you know usually your absolute best case scenarios uh, when you have almost anything uh, wrong with with your shoulder, I, I think it's a pretty major issue, um, you know, obviously. And, and I think it's it's hard uh, for us to, to quantify, and it's hard for us to obviously be, uh, you know, doctors, so to speak, quote-unquote, uh, from way back here because, because we aren't. But at the same time, uh, you know, I think it's, it's the accurate take, going back to the very beginning of this Miguel Andujar thing, uh, whenever someone has any kind of shoulder injury, even if they're rehabbing it, uh, to pretty much pit, push the panic button, you know, as much as, you know, you, you always want to uh, advise against that. But we'll move on to some rehabbing pitchers. You, you know, uh, real Mike quick, Clevenger. too. Yeah. Just, just sitting on it, too. I mean, I, I think one of the best things you can think about, too, is, you know, I said I hope he's ready for spring training next year, but especially with shoulders, when I said how tricky they are, you don't want to rush him back if he's not 100%. And, you know, one of the uh, – uh, if you look at uh, Cam Newton out there in, in Carolina, too, he had the one shoulder surgery. He came back. Was he ready? I don't know. But, again, they didn't protect him. He was taking beatings left and right, and he underwent a second shoulder operation this past offseason, too. So, you know, I'm just saying, you know, when you're looking at these investments like it, you have to be careful. You cannot try to, A, you got to make sure they're 100%. You do not want to rush them because, you know, if, if something happens again, that's like one of the worst case scenarios is to have a second operation. Because then, you, you, I mean, you got to remember, too, there's going to be buildup of scar tissue from the first one, then you're going back into that muscle again, there's going to be more buildup from the scar tissue, and you just you really truly don't know. So, you know, I, I hope for the Yankees and, 
and even fantasy owners alike, that he is 100% when he does come back. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, and, you know, obviously we'll, we'll probably be waiting all off season to, to look at reports if you're a long-term owner of Andrew Hart, uh, seeing what that return process might be like, what the rehab process uh, might be like. It wouldn't surprise me at all, uh, even if we were optimistic about Andrew Hart heading into next season, if he was a guy who we saw do something like extended spring training rehab to start the year uh, and something uh, to that effect. Um but back to these uh, pitchers that, that are starting to starting their rehab assignments. Uh, Mike Clevenger, uh, I believe we discussed, played catch at uh, 120 feet was one of the reports. Uh, Chris Archer did get shellacked in his return to Arizona uh, either earlier today or yesterday. Um, it, it was a poor performance, but but he did make his uh, return, I believe, from a brief uh, injured list stint. Um, I don't think there's anything new really since the last time we talked, but another player who, who's a big deal uh, to me in a lot of leagues and someone I've, I've been a big uh, proponent of hoping that he can come back. And another discussion of shoulder, shoulder injuries, uh, Jimmy Nelson, uh, a player I'm hoping will be back 100% from his shoulder injury, but the fact that it is a shoulder injury that he's returning from uh, makes me very wary of that fact. Um, any of these uh, returning situations, and Mike Clevenger, Chris Archer, uh, Jimmy Nelson, or, or even all of them stick out to you, Kyle? Yeah, one of the most important ones, especially for the Indians. I mean, if you look at the Twins, they're going to start making an early push to run away for the division. The way the White Sox are, you know, playing too, they could make a push for second in the division. So, you know, for for the Indians, we know that their offense, you know, has has, has been pretty brutal through the first month of the season. We did see that, you know, they got Lindor back, so that's huge. You know, uh, Jose Ramirez is showing some some signs of life coming back to life, but still with that outfield, not a whole lot of run support you're getting. They absolutely need their pitchers to be healthy. So, you know, this is a good sign for Clevenger. And, you know, where his injury was, too, like if you if you take one of your hands and put it, like, just behind your armpit with your, your other arm lifted and you feel that muscle behind it there, like directly right behind the armpit, higher up there, that's the issue he's having with his uh, in, in his back there. And it, for it to be on his throwing side there, again, it's one of those things that you have to be 100% pain-free before you can even work your way back and you know the fact that he's throwing is huge but again he's missed this I mean he's missed what almost a month now or if not more and you know with that being said too now he's gonna have to work his way to get back in shape he's gonna have to really start you know uh, uh, he has to start eventually cranking it up to get back in you know uh, 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 game game shape but for a pitcher in, in terms of you know, pitch count and, and whatnot. So, you know, it's a good sign. Uh, again, with Chris Archer, too, wasn't the uh, wasn't a very uh, a very solid return for him. Uh, you know, he, he definitely was hittable. But the fact that he is back, again, there's going to be rush to shake off. It's going to be like that for almost all pitchers. I wouldn't be surprised if Mike Clevenger feels it, you know, his first one or two innings. So, again, it's great that they're both back. It's going to be huge for fantasy teams. I know in one of my leagues, I did see someone that dropped Clevenger, so I hurried up and, and grabbed him as fast as I could. And, again, great. It's awesome. But, again, it, it's one of those frustrating things that we've had to kind of battle through for the first month. Oh, dropped Clevenger. You have to imagine he probably had some harsh, uh, you know, injured injured list uh 
restrictions or not not on his team. I'm saying he had a lot of injured players, or at least hopefully oh, yeah. to, uh, to be forced into making that that kind of a, a harsh decision. Uh, so 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 disappointing to have to do that. Clevenger's pitcher coming into the season, I was I was very very high on. Uh, I've really liked him for a while. He profiles so similarly to his teammate Carlos Carrasco in the fact that uh, his fastball doesn't necessarily profile as the best pitch, though I say that he does throw at 97 miles an hour. Um, but the, the real thing that defines him is the fact that he has three quality non-fastball pitches in his change-up slider and curveball uh, that each get whiffs and each seem to uh, mitigate damage fairly well. It's the same profile that I would give Carrasco. Uh, the difference is Clevenger actually throws quite a bit harder than Carrasco. Um, and for all these pitchers that failed to pitch a good number of innings, I believe he did or was very close if he didn't uh, to breaking the 200 innings pitch barrier last year. He obviously won't this year with his, his injuries, uh, but he did look great to start the season. And if he can come back 100% and avoid any recurrence of, I believe it was a back injury, um, which is a, a scary one for recurrence sake. Um, but if you can't avoid any recurrence of that, I, I do uh, like the idea of Mike Clevenger being, you know, about a top 20 pitcher uh, from the moment he, he gets back 100%. Um, we'll move on to, to another uh, slew of uh, rehabbing starters, um, all on the Oakland A's. This was just a, a collection of uh, – news from from the Oakland days that I happened to uh, spy on MLB trade rumors, so I thought we would go through it. Um, I believe the the timing is due to the fact that Jarrell Cotton, 14 months removed from Tommy John surgery, is expected to begin a rehab assignment, I believe, tomorrow. Um, Jarrell Cotton is a player that a lot of people got into either last year or two years ago as a sleeper pick. Um, Didn't necessarily work out uh, too well for them. Um, but he does have an interesting fastball changeup combination at the very least. Uh, A.J. Puck, I believe, was an early first-round draft pick at one point of his uh, of his career. Uh, he also had Tommy John surgery about two weeks after Drill Cotton did. Uh, he threw his first simulated game. It's a major step forward for him. Um, Oakland A's beat reporter Susan Slusser um, indicates Manaya shoulder surgery, and Jesus Luzardo, uh, ro- rotator cuff strain uh, potentially being available after the trade deadline. So that would be, you know, August, September uh, for those two. Uh, Manaya being someone we've seen before, interesting and has some upside. Luzardo being someone who, before he had the rotator cuff strain, a lot of people were talking about him in the same class as we were talking about, like Chris Paddock as, as the two guys who could really change things for your fantasy team uh, and, you know, still had that, that prospect never before really played. Uh, tag around them. We haven't had that opportunity to see Luzardo at all with this rotator cuff strain. The A's are wisely being uh, very, very cautious with him. So it'll be interesting to see if if we do get get that delayed uh, delayed uh, you know promotion sometime this year. Um, any thoughts on these Oakland A's rotation and their returns from injury? Yeah. I- the most significant for me, AJ Puck, uh, just because you know we're, we're talking about extremely, extremely high draft pick back in 2016, and you know big lefty, and it's it, for me with him, it's just the strikeouts and overabundance. I mean, in 2017, he had 184 strikeouts and 125 innings pitch, and that was between single A and double A, and he did he did a lot of damage in 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 double uh, A too, and you know here here's the crazy, crazy, really crazy stat. 157 innings he's thrown throughout the minors, you know, in, in the better part of uh, uh, two years. Only three home runs given up. 
And his strikeouts are just absolutely astronomical. 224 strikeouts in 157 innings. So, you know, big strikeout potential with him. And he's a big guy, too, at 6'7", 238. He is a monster pitcher. So, you know, I, I thought, I truly, truly believed that out of spring training last year, he was going to get the call before, you know, ultimately he went down with Tommy John surgery. But, uh, again, it, it's exciting. Extremely young still, only 24 years old. So uh, I'm, I'm anxiously awaiting him to get the call. I want to see what he can do at this next level. And like you said, too, with Jarrell Cotton, you know, uh, he really hit the scene uh, uh, two seasons ago. And then, you know, it, it, it's good for Oakland because, like you said, too, they need to watch the pitchers they do have. But even then, too, as the season progresses, yeah, I mean, this team won 90 games last year. And if you look at it now, they're in dead last nine and a half games out of first. I get it. Tough division, especially with Houston being in there. But at the same time, you got to be gunning for a wild card. And if you can get there and you can get Cotton and Puck back healthy, maybe not Puck, but Cotton does have that experience at the major league level. I mean, you, you can ultimately, you don't even really need to brush them back as starters. You could have them help out when rosters expand and you know, have them come out of the bullpen too, either of them. So, you know, that that's a great sign. And, you know, one of the ones that I was excited about this season entering, Jesus Lozardo, again, with that strain, you know, he's looking like he's going to start uh, being available here to, to really ramp up rehab. And, like, and probably after, you know, right around, I'd say July, August, you'll see him get there. And, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm hoping because I've been holding on to him and I, I haven't had a spot just because he hasn't been put on the active roster. He hasn't been, you know, he hasn't gotten that that IL uh, uh, designation that you know, I've just kind of been eating up a bench spot with him. So you know, I'm excited for when he eventually does get his call, so I can see if I, you know, I have something, someone that I can potentially keep in the next year. Yeah, um, I, I think it's really interesting, especially talking about Jarrell Cotton as potentially uh, filling many different roles, uh, especially roles that are becoming bigger and bigger in modern baseball. As a fastball changeup guy returning from Tommy John, uh, I could see him functioning either as an opener who, who tries to go up against the first nine or, you know, the first time through the order, uh, or as a, as a long reliever who either takes over for one of those openers uh, or is there in case starters falter. Um you know, statistically, and obviously everyone's rehab is different and every player is different. Um, statistically, from what I've witnessed, um, Jarrell Cotton and A.J. Puck, I could believe both uh, are near their level of velocity or could get there in, in a very short period of time. Um, what I would be uh, looking to see if they can get quicker than some pitchers are able to get is, is the control. Uh, I, I think a lot of these pitchers, when they come up, uh, in this 14 to 18 month range uh, from Tommy John surgery, we see their walks for nine uh, abnormally high. I think that's a fairly common, uh, you know, symptom of, of coming back from Tommy John surgery immediately, something that can get weaned out of their game by the next year. But uh, I'll be watching Cotton and Puck to see if uh, they're able to master their control, their consistency, um, and, and get back into a rhythm as a starter uh, when, when all they've been doing is, is rehabbing as opposed to playing the normal games, uh, although they've you know obviously been getting ready to do these rehab assignments uh, recently. And then obviously, uh, like I said at the beginning, uh, Paddock and Luzardo, I think, were, were ranked hand-in-hand start the season by a lot of people as just a, a hype pick. Uh, people, you know, once Luzardo got picked, ended up going very, very high on, on Paddock after he got uh, named to the 
25-man roster to start the season. Uh, but, but Luzardo is a player who, you know, if he would have had that 25-man announcement as opposed to the rotator cuff announcement, uh, if the rotator cuff injury didn't happen and they would have announced him uh, surprisingly uh, for the 25-man roster, you know, Luzardo would be a pitcher we would absolutely have been talking about late in draft season, skyrocketing boards. Um, and the moment he would have been called up, we would have talked about how, how intriguing he is, uh, as is we're just hoping that if they, you know, you know, I shouldn't say this for everybody, but at least in my opinion, what I'm just hoping for at this point is if they bring him back, it's not a bad decision um, in terms of his long-term health because, you know, Jesus Luzardo is a pitcher that I'd like to see have, have many good games for years to come, um, and I'm not speaking as an owner in any particular league, um, but I, I don't. I, I can be willing to accept the 2019, uh, perhaps with the exception of a postseason, if they get that far, uh, is perhaps dead um, for, for this year. Um, and then one last rehab note: uh, Trey Turner taking some ground balls. Oh, and also uh, Jose Altuve added to the injured list. Uh, two two middle infielders there, uh, big name middle infielders being taken in drafts late first, early second round in most cases. Um, anything, anything on Trey Turner or Jose Altuve? So Trey's extremely close to, to being back. I think, to be honest with you, I, I think he's coming back a little bit faster than they had hoped. I, and, and that's good because he is healing fast, but, uh, he did get in, uh, he, he has been getting at bats. He was in a, a class A advanced ball a couple nights ago and went, you know, he was one for eight with four strikeouts. I get it, but, you know, it, it actually, it might've been. I think it was actually today, but, uh, you know, uh, still at the same time, you know, he's just got to get back in the swing of things. You're talking about a guy with that, with that broken finger. It's not like you can hit, it's not like you can throw either. So, you know, it, for him, it's just getting back in shape and really, really starting to ramp it up. But I mean, the fact that he's taking at bats and he is taking grounders, it means that that finger is, you know, the bonus, the bone itself is healed, you know, but now it's just getting the strength back in that hand because you got to remember too, he had surgery on the finger, but now he's going to get strength in the finger strengthen his wrists again, strengthen his arms, and ultimately make sure that those legs are going to be loose. Because one of the things I want to pay attention to when he comes back, now we know what he can do with his legs, but at the same time, I want to make sure that he is limber enough to really start seeing the bags. Because one of the worst things I think could happen when you take this much time off and you can't do a whole lot is to see a guy take off and then pull up lame for a calf injury, a hamstring injury, you know, something like that. So, you know, for me, great sign that he is back, and I know a lot of people are anxious. I mean, this guy, you're talking about a guy who's still, what, three or four bases uh, opening day. So, you know, it'll be it'll be great to get uh, get him back because I, I own him in one league. I, I put a lot of stock into him in a redraft league, and, of course, you know, it's been tough to find, uh, uh, to find anything to make up for those stolen bases, especially when I know what he brings to the table. Yeah, and then uh, Jose Altuve added to the injured list, I believe. Um, any thoughts on, on the Houston Astros second baseman? Yeah, I mean, he has struggled at, at times uh, this season, you know, and, and I feel like he was finally coming around. I mean, this whole offense was finally starting to click. I mean, we know what, you know, Alex Bregman has done in, in the past week or two. So, you know, it's probably it just it, it sucks the timing for Altuve because he probably was finally starting to you know put it together uh, at least for the way that he feels confident up there. But uh, again, one thing about Houston is the depth that they have. I mean, we talked about their minor leagues, you know, in terms of what they have in their outfield. 
you know, they have a waiting in the wings for pitching too, but they do have that depth. And, you know, we're about to hit on, on one of the players here it's soon, but Aledmus Diaz, and, well, you know, we'll get to what he's done. But having that depth is huge for Houston. So, again, that hamstring issue, it sucks, but, you know, the team's going to be able to get around it. And, you know, for fantasy owners too, when, when guys like this, big-name guys like that do get hurt, you know, and they play on very, very, very successful teams, don't be hesitant to hit the waiver wire and grab the person that's going to be getting the at-bats for them because if they're playing on a great team, I can tell you right now, they're going to get a lot of opportunities hitting in those lineups. Yeah, sounds good there, Kyle. And then one last injury news note, um, Zach Granke of the Arizona Diamondbacks was in the middle of pitching at gym. He's actually pitched pretty much only gyms this year since his uh, first game of the season where he was absolutely shellacked. Uh, by the Los Angeles Dodgers, including that start. His ERA is down to 278, and his FIP and XFIP are an identical 316. Uh, his walks per nine and home runs per nine are both very low, as he's been a very good control pitcher uh, this year and more recently been avoiding the home runs. He was in the middle of a dominant performance when uh, he was removed from the game, or I believe someone uh, rephrased it as he removed himself from the game, uh, with abdominal tightness. Uh, I do believe he had an MRI. I don't believe I've heard uh, anything significant about uh, if there's any real extent to this injury, uh, if it's something like a delayed start, or if he maybe won't even miss time at all. But uh, any, any thoughts on, on Zach Granke? Have you heard anything or, or just thoughts on his performances this season maybe? I, I haven't heard anything, you know, in in terms of you know, the results from the MRI, but, you know, we're hoping that it's nothing major because, like you said, I mean, he's, he's pitched extremely well um, up to this point. So, again, if it's nothing too serious, maybe miss a start here. You know, I, I doubt it, if it's if it's anything like non-serious that he'd miss more than a start. But if it is serious, if it's a tear or something like that, you could be expecting him to miss months. So, you know, we're going to have to wait play it by year, but hopefully it's nothing serious. Yeah, you know, Zach Granke, 35 years old, one of the highest paid, and I believe maybe the highest paid player in baseball by average annual value. Um, he's been consistently a stud throughout his entire career. Um, you know, he's working his way, and if he can get back healthy and continues to pitch this year, he will likely work his way to his 200th victory of his career, uh, managing that with a 3.37 career ERA at this point. He's been a very good pitcher who's pitched throughout uh, multiple places uh, throughout throughout his very long career. Been very good this year since that, that disappointing first start. Uh, Zach Greinke, uh very, very much paying attention, making sure that he's fine the, with his abdominal issue. Um, but but moving forward, I'm, uh, if he is fine, I'm hoping for more of the same. As he is a guy who dominates more with his his control and his ability uh, to know what he needs to do to hitters more so uh, than anything else. Um, and then uh, that that's it for our injury news. We we do have one more piece of news, and that's that Madison Bumgarner, as we alluded to uh, earlier in the show. Uh, put out his no-trade list. And I'm going to give the names first, but I, I mentioned earlier that it might not be as much about who as much as why, according to some reporters. Um, but, the, but the list is the Atlanta Braves, the Boston Red Sox, the Chicago Cubs, the Houston Astros, the Milwaukee Brewers, the New York Yankees, the Philadelphia Phillies, uh, and the St. Louis Cardinals. And it, if all those names 
seem to have one familiar theme about them is that those are all contenders. And they're not just contenders, but they're contenders when you ignore the contenders that can't afford to pay people, like the Rays and the A's and, and teams of that nature. Um, and, and I've heard multiple multiple reports um, or seen multiple reports uh, that this is less of a team of list uh, a list of teams that he does not want to go, uh, but more of him trying to utilize uh, his limited no trade ability to make sure that he goes nowhere uh, and stays in San Francisco. Uh, it, it's interesting, nonetheless, uh, to see if they can get him to wave it on, on one of those teams. Because I mean, surely, I mean, again, Braves, Red Sox, Cubs, Astros, Brewers, Yankees, Phillies, and Cardinals. It is hard to find a team that is going to want to pay up for him both in terms of prospects and potentially uh, money to keep him uh, that isn't on that list already. Any any thoughts on this Mad Bum list? Yeah, you know, I think it was just maybe an immediate reaction like everyone else, you know, the head scratcher. But then when you do see the list, you're like, ah, oh, of course, they're all good teams. They're all going to be competing teams. But, you know, when when you really dig into it and you look into it, I, I understand. I get it. He's been there his entire career. Does he? He doesn't want. Realistically, he does not want to go anywhere. But at the same time, he's going to be moved. He knows he's going to be moved. His agent knows he's going to be moved. So you know. With that being said, this is a way for them to you know be involved uh, in in anything, uh, any potential deal. You know, uh, Bumgarner and his agent. They're going to have to ultimately give their blessing, yes or no. I wouldn't be shocked. I should say I would be shocked if he was traded to another team other than these teams on the list. You know, I did an article on this that came out Tuesday on, on, on his, his no trade list. And, you know, I think two teams I named that weren't on that list, the Dodgers, which are it was absolutely not going to happen. They're not going to trade Bumgarner to the Dodgers. You just would never see that with their, you know, their, their, their division rival like that. The other team was the Minnesota Twins. I mean, they've played very, very good uh, baseball up to this point, and I mean, if they got a pitcher like Madison Baumgartner on their staff, a true ace like that, after you know, or you know, I should say a veteran ace because they have uh, uh, Jose uh, Barrios, and we know what he's capable of. But I mean, that would give them a great, great second uh, uh, arm on this, or a quality starting pitcher to this staff. So again, he's probably going to be traded to one of these teams in all likelihood, but him and his agent are going to be involved in every aspect of the trade, you know, and, and, and again, that's what this is, just to give him some kind of leverage in the deal. Yeah, no, it, it seems that the way this is working out for Madison Bumgarner, as long as the Giants don't strike a deal with a team that isn't on this 10-team list, uh, he will have as much leverage as a player that actually has a no-trade clause and has to be asked to waive it. Uh, to be traded to to that team, uh, team uh, players do utilize that leverage of the no trade clause often. Um, he is selecting the ten teams I think he believes are most likely to trade for him, uh, and then saying if one of these ten teams and you uh, reach an agreement, you're also going to have to reach an agreement with me that I'm okay with it, uh, which is a very intelligent thing uh, for him to do in in that regard. Um, before we move on to who's hot and, and who's not, as well as some streamers, uh, talk about some more hitters and pitchers with our show, um, I'd like to remind our audience once again about our partner Thrive Fantasy Sports. Thrive Fantasy offers prop bets against the 
uh, typical daily fantasy model. Uh, you can go to thrivefantasy.com and put in the promo code MLFS, and they will match your first $10. We're also seeking competitive members for our 2019 football leagues. Uh, if you fi- feel like you would be the right fit, email Corey D. Roberts at majorleaguefantasysports at gmail.com. And if you like the work here we do, either on the show or in writing, go to patreon.com slash majorleaguefantasysports. Um, so uh, we, uh, you gave me a list of, of some who's hot and some who's not. Uh, I also looked up uh, a few more players uh, to add to it uh, as we go along. Uh, but first off, uh, the, the names uh, that I believe you're interested to talk about are Alednis Diaz, uh, 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 Jordan Luplow, uh, and Tommy Lestella. Uh, Luplow's an interesting one. I'm interested to hear uh, what you have to say about him because prior to the season, I, I was interested just because of you know the lack of replacements that Cleveland uh, came forward with in the outfield and, and the potential opportunity there. Uh, as someone with with a couple of interesting tools, uh, he's obviously been extremely hot so far this year. Tom Estella, uh, someone we both know uh, as a Cub, uh, as Cubs fans ourselves, uh, he's all one of the hottest hitters in baseball. When I when I did my uh, search query, I did it by OPS, uh, and and Stella's name stuck out to me uh, as one that we already had on the list, but but was one of the highest in in the sport in, in May in terms of OPS. So. Uh, what are your thoughts on Ledmus Diaz, Jordan Luplow, and Tommy Lestella, Kyle? Yeah, I, I, you know, again, with, with Diaz, we know what he can do. We know what he's done in the past when he first came up with, with St. Louis, and, you know, he, he was ultimately found himself in Toronto, too. But, again, this plays to the depth that Houston has. They can bring in a, a veteran like that. They can play any middle infield position, you know, and, and swing a stick too. You know, we've seen what he's been able to do with his bat in the past. And, I mean, we're seeing it right now. And what I tried to hit on too with, you know, who's hot are, are guys that are still available in, in numerous leagues. Probably not your deeper 16-team leagues, but, I mean, if 10- to 12-team leagues, um, small ownership, I, I know Diaz, it's going to fly, but, as of right now, he's right around that 14% owned. And, you know, in his last seven days, I mean, he's hit well over 300, 333. Three home runs, 10 RBIs, and six runs. The thing is, when you're playing with this Houston offense, you're going to have the opportunity to score runs. You're going to have guys on base. And, you know, especially if he's hitting towards the, the, the middle end of that lineup, more than likely the end, you're going to have guys like Springer on base. Correa's really turned around. Bregman's been on unbelievable but it sucks if he's behind you or excuse me hitting before you because right now he's hitting the ball out of the ballpark at an astronomical rate that he's probably clearing the bases before you get up one of the issues you can run into but i mean what's making ds successful right now he's got career low 11.5 k percentage he's got career lows in o swing percentage so he's not you know he's not chasing things outside the zone in a clear or career low in swinging strike percentage so you know those are great things you know to see early on you know is there going to be some regression yeah absolutely it's to be expected and you know one of the things that i like to see when guys are going up there is their patience and right now he's at a career high 6.9 walk percentage so that's great he's going up there he's being selective i i think just being able to hit in this lineup just kind of brings it all together and really having yeah uh, um, um you know the fact that they have won a World Series, you're coming off a, you know, a, a successful season last year, too. They ultimately didn't get to the, the World Series, but, you know, they, they put it together. He's playing with a great manager, too, that's going to help him. 
uh, you know, just feel comfortable being able to come off the bench and, you know, uh, get that those starting at-bats while Altuve's out. Um, looking at Jordan Lovelow, too. So, owned in not even 5% of most leagues. And, you know, I mean, the past seven days, he's hit 350, four home runs, six RBIs, six runs. Dallas, those numbers look great, don't they? Here's the concerning thing for me. 40% K rate on the season, and in his last seven games, 45% strikeout rate. So it's kind of like an all-or-nothing thing right now for him. Is you know he's either striking out or hitting home runs, but I mean, still the fact that he's in 350 over his last seven games is you know it's good. And but again, temper expectations because when a guy has a, a strikeout rate that high, there's going to be regression. There's no other way to look at it besides that. But again. Just like Diaz, Luplo's getting that opportunity to get the at-bats when, you know, this outfield for the Indians has struggled mightily on the season. So that's another player. And then, you know, Tommy Lestella, I mean, what we're going to talk about is just absolutely ridiculous. I mean, still owned 50% of leagues, and that number is about to go through the roof because I think, what was it? I think in his entire career, I think he only had 10 home runs up to this season, and he has 11 now on this season. Last seven games, or days, he's hit 481, four home runs, six RBIs, seven runs. He's been a monster. And, you know, I said there was concerning strikeout rate for Luplo. Well, it's the complete opposite with Tommy Lestella. 113 at-bats, only eight strikeouts. Eight strikeouts. That is a phenomenal number. I mean, he's third in MLB in contact percentage and swinging strike rate. He's, 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 he's top three in that as well. He's always been a good hitter. I brought this in, up in the past because I've been throwing him in BFS lineups since the season started. Joe Mann said he was one of the best hitters he's ever been around. Not only is he selective up there, but he's not going to chase. He's going to make you pitch to him. He can come up off the bench and pitch it and, and hit someone throwing 98 miles an hour with movement. He is a good hitter. The one thing that's always hindered him was getting everyday at bats. They always saw him as, as more as a, a, a utility player, but he finds himself in L.A. He's getting those everyday at bats, and, I mean, right now he's arguably one of the hottest hitters in baseball, if not the hottest. Yeah, um, go, going uh, in the same order you did, Ledman Diaz has always been interesting to me because of one of the individual metrics I look at for a hitter when I'm, breaking a guy down for the very first time, uh, or, or C, is usually their four-seam fastball performance. Um, and Lenny Diaz is somebody that I noticed right away uh, was an outlier. And this is maybe going a couple years back, so I don't know how he's held up in these numbers. But I assume he's hold, held up pretty well. Um, but I noticed that he was an outlier in his combination of small whiff percentage on four-seam fastball uh, and high isolated power on forcing fastball. And I really like that combination uh, in, in the beginning of a hitter because when, when you can get that down, uh, if you can get down the I can take away their best fastball in, in your repertoire of what you can do to a pitcher as a hitter, I think that can really force them uh, to adjust, go to secondary pitches that they aren't as comfortable with, um, you know, or uh, alternatively, if they fail to throw strikes because they're afraid of, of throwing that fastball 
uh, in anywhere near uh, the heart of the strike zone, uh, they can fall behind, and, and that's when you can look for the fastball and get the fastball. Um, I was going to bring up Jorge Polanco one way or the other today. Um, that's what I loved about him coming into the season was the combination of those two two numbers. And I've watched him play more than anybody this year. And I mean, you can you can see it when he knows he's in the fastball count and he's looking for a fastball. He's a guy who absolutely loves it when a pitcher throws it fast and tries to get it by him because he has really quick wrists and can get the ball or the bat around uh, the head about the head of the bat around quickly and, and make that contact and hit the ball hard at a very rare uh, in a very rare way. Aledmus Diaz is the same kind of player uh, and has been for a while. Uh, he has always been a little bit, little bit of a pull happy guy. Always been a guy who's need to uh, improve his plate coverage, but uh, he, he's always had some natural abilities that have been really interesting. Um, Luffalo, obviously, yes, the strikeout rate is concerning. Um, the one thing that sticks out to me uh, alongside it, though, in a positive light, is that he is doing some pretty incredible things in his um, bad ball profile. No pop-up so far this season. Very few softly hit balls. Um, so he is making quality contact almost every time he's making contact, um, which isn't something that really anybody can say, uh, and, and probably Jordan Luplo included after a while, but he is doing that right now. So um, he is someone at least worth watching, especially because of um, – you know, the nature of the Cleveland Indians uh, lineup, he's going to continue uh, to get plate appearances. I, I don't think he's going to be uh, this hot either. And I don't know if he's worth owning in a lot of shallower leagues, but um, you know, AL only leagues, especially he, he's definitely someone worth owning. And then yeah, Tommy Lestella, it's very interesting because he has some of the numbers that I really look for for breakouts and he has for a long, but the thing is he has for a long time. He's 30 years old. I think the main thing is that most people just, uh, didn't expect him to add power, and that that's the main difference, right? I mean, yes, his swing strike and his strikeout rate are obviously way better, and they're incredible. And if those things are uh, legitimate, he he's made uh, some kind of you know Daniel Murphy esque improvement, if you really want to put put a comparison to it. Um, but but the real change is the fact that he has a 300 isolate power this year. I mean, this is a guy whose who's isolate power has bordered around the 100 range uh, and has dipped below it many seasons uh, in, on his career. It is 126. Uh, last year it was 065 through his 192 plate appearances. And, again, that's 192 plate play appearances in 123 games. So it's barely over a plate appearance a game and speaks to the way he, he is used inconsistently. So maybe that is a you know a, a big part of the story when it comes to Tommy Lestella. Whatever it is, right now he is absolutely on fire, um, and, and any league where he's available, he just absolutely shouldn't be. You know, there's a there's a difference, especially you know, I think we buy into it more than a lot of people would, but there's a difference between buying into Tommy Lestella as a as a truly changed player and letting a guy who plays at this level just sit on your waiver wire. They're, they're completely different. You know, it, uh, if you're in a situation where you can get him for virtually free, you need to do that. Um, I, I looked up some, some who's hot names. Um, I'll be quick about, about the two of them, but, uh, and they're also, you know, more highly drafted players. At least one of them was, uh, but Josh Bell and George Springer are two of the best hitters in baseball so far this year and two of the best hitters uh, in May thus far. I believe Josh Bell is the best hitter in May uh, by number of statistics like OPS, WRC+, uh, and the like. Uh, on the season, Josh Bell has a 333-404-693 slash line. He's been absolutely incredible. Um, the power is not only back, but it's better than we've ever seen it before he's still taking walks he's striking out a little bit more but it's coming 
uh, w with a much improved Babbitt that that seems to be fairly represented by by a batted ball profile that looks fairly incredible to me uh, in terms of you know hard hit rate, no soft contact, isn't popping up too much, seems to be using all the fields. Uh, so I mean Josh Bell is someone who, who's doing some some truly uh, incredible things uh, right now so far this year. And, and same with George Springer, 320, 400, 651 slash line for George Springer. Uh, 16 home runs is only six fewer than he hit last year. Uh, 40 runs and 40 RBIs through only 44 games played. I mean, those are some incredible pacings in terms of counting stats. 16 home runs and four stolen bases. Um, you know, just an incredible year uh, for George Springer. Um, I'll let you uh, touch on those two guys, but I'd also uh, like to bring up uh, the who's not guys. I know you went back and forth with a few guys uh, on your list, but I believe you ultimately settled on uh, Tim Beckham, uh, Bryce Harper, and, and Reese Hoskins. The two latter, you know, are guys, depending, you know, if you're in an OBP league, you're probably stu uh, stomaching, stomaching them, excuse me, a, a lot better um, because, you know, they are coming with some counting stats, some power. Um, but as the strikeouts go up and, and the batting averages go down, uh, they are certainly cooling off. So uh, if you'd like to jump in on any thoughts on, on, on those you know, Josh Bell or George Springer, go ahead. But uh, if not, feel free to move right on to your who's not guys. Yeah, I, I mean, looking looking at Josh Bell, it's clicking now. I mean, this is his fourth season in the big leagues. It'll be his, his third full season. And, I mean, right now I, I think the adjustments have been made. I don't think you're seeing him get fooled as much as he has in the past. I, I, I think he knows what his weaknesses are. I think he knows, you know, that pitchers will try to exploit that. And, and well, I shouldn't say weaknesses, but, you know, I, I feel at times when I saw him, you know, he, he would really, he really was trying to lunge at pitches, uh, fastballs off the plate and, and, and oh, now he's taking them. So again, that's plate discipline, that's growth, that's maturity at the major league level. So and you're seeing that success. Because we're talking about a guy that was a three, a high three, or excuse me, a low 300 hitter in the minor leagues, and you know the power was always there for him, and it, it's clicking. He's young, and, and this is a great sign for Josh Bell. And I mean, and with George Springer, I mean, what can you say? I mean, he's having a monster season this year, and, and again, 29 year old vet. We, you know, he, he's pretty much accomplished, you know, anything you can think of right now. I mean, I mean, he finished, you know, it's his rookie year. He did finish in the top 10 rookies. He's finished in top uh, uh, 15 in, in MVP voting a few seasons ago, you know, and he has been an all-star too. And, it's, and won a silver slugger, if I'm mistaken as well in 2017. So, you know, it's clicking for him. He's, he's putting it together. And I mean, at this, at this pace right now, I mean, he's, he's going to break that 34 home runs that he a career high. He set back in 2017 and RBI, he's already halfway there too. And you know, the highest he had so far was 85. So he's on pace to having a, a career year as well. So it's good to see. Um, yeah. Just jumping over to the, the, the who's not list. No, let's start with Tim Beckham. You know, he, he started off extremely hot. I wrote an article about, you know, should we buy into it? And, you know, nothing in his past made me believe that it was sustainable throughout the entire season. And, you know, if, if you look at it, last seven days for him, I mean, he's, he's hitting below 200. He's only hit one home run. And with that one home run was the only RBI. So it was a solo shot and he only had one run. Again, that solo shot. So he's two for his last 13. And, you know, for me, he's just making weak contact right now. And, you know, a, a player that's never really shown the ability or the want 
to take a walk. He has zero walks so far in May. And, and I mean, that, that's absolutely going to kill you because you're going to be overly aggressive. And, you know, and pitchers know that, especially early on in the season. Well, you got to remember, too, you know, you, you, you start one way. You know, think of it as like a, a kind of like, a, you know, trying to come back a, a, like a, a scale type where, you know, the hitters are higher up. You know, and slowly it starts to come down with the pitchers are starting to warm up. You're seeing it. The off-speed pitches are getting better. They're really tightening up that fastball and finally hitting their spots. You know, it's going to start leveling out. And, you know, one of the things that stood out for me was March and April, he had a 16.4 soft percentage compared to 37 hard contact percentage. You know, you forward it to May, I get we're two weeks in, but it's done, you know, it's 37 percent in that that soft contact 29.6 in hard contact percentage so you know for me he is trying to do too much I feel because if you look at his pull percentage too it's up almost you know it, it went it jumped from March and April 38.4 percent to 51.9 percent these first two weeks of May so for me we contact he is trying he's being overly aggressive especially with the you know that that the pull percentage that high where you know early in the season I feel a lot of his his success was just keeping it simple, giving uh, taking what the pitchers were giving him. You were seeing him hit the ball the opposite way. You're seeing him hit, you know, balls up the shooting balls up the middle. Yeah, the home runs were, you know, at a higher rate compared to his his normal rate throughout his career. But you know, right now it's a struggle, and you know, I, I think that is for you know pitchers being aware that he is going up there, being aggressive. You got to think about it. if you're going up there and you've hit as many home runs as you have, you're going to go up there looking to drive the ball. Pitchers have caught on to that. So, you know, they could be pitching him outside. And at the same time with that, he's still trying to pull the ball because that's just, you know, what he's feeling like. So, again, he's going to have to adjust. He's going to have to make better contact. And ultimately, he's going to have to be more patient at the plate. Um, You know, going over to Bryce Harper, too, I mean, it's just the strikeouts right now that are absolutely killing him. I I mean, like you said, as long as you're in a, you know, an on-base, uh, league, he's been okay. You know, I mean, 150, 346, 200 slash line. Can't you can't? I mean, that 346 OBP, okay, I can live with that. But everything else is just putrid. Zero home runs, zero RBIs. But here's the crazy thing: he struck out ten times in his last 20 at bats. 50K percentage right there. And, and you know, if you look at March and April, uh, it's 29.5 percent. May, it's 33.9 you can't do that. It's just not good. And, you know, it, 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 the one thing, though, for him that is when he is making contact, it's trending positive. His hard percentage is up and his ground ball percentage is down. But for, right now it's just those swings and misses right now that are, that are killing him. And, you know, flipping to the other side, too, with Reese Hoskins, you know, it, it's a similar story. Again, his, his 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 OBP is below average, but I mean it's still over 300, which I, I can live with, especially with a power hitter. But I mean he's slashing 182, 308, 182 with zero home runs, zero RBIs. Same story with uh, with Harper. You know, high K percentage. He got 36 uh, K percentage his last 22 at bats, and I mean his is up five uh, percent from uh, you know combining March and April to May. So you know both of them are just struggling right now with the strikeouts. I feel like, you know, it, it, it. this team came out hot. And, I mean, if you look at what Reese Hoskins did early on, even Bryce Harper, too, the power was there. So, you know, it, it, you're going to see some signs of 
progression. That's why it is a long season. Pitchers, like I said, they're going to start feeling better. They're going to start. Everything's going to be sharper. They're going to be able to hit their spots, and they're really going to try to lure pitch or excuse me, hitters in the bad counts, and then chasing off the plate. So you know, with these guys, like I said, with Harper, yeah, the strikeout percentages is up, but you know, if you look at that contact percentage, it is trending upward just because his hard contact percentage is up and his ground ball rate is down. So you know, again, just small uh, struggles right now, but they're, they're they're too good at hitters to you know have that struggle really last long. Yeah, you know, I wonder if the the Philadelphia Phillies hitting coach or brass in general needs to, you know, start working with some of these guys with the idea that as much as this lineup is based around the concept that we take walks, we get on base, we keep the lineup car moving, and we hit a lot of home runs, uh, which it should be, um, you can't just strike out and walk all the time, which I think is a lot of what we're seeing uh, is a couple of these guys going in the, the three true outcome direction. And, you know, we, we liked uh, Bryce Harper and Reese Hoskins as a lot more than three true outcome type of players. Um, you know, I, I think that you could make the argument that there's some similarities between them and like an Adam Dunn uh, for what they're showing right now. And I don't think that's what we uh, ultimately expected to see uh, when we, when we came into this season, uh, going back a, a bit further, uh, George Springer, in terms of accolades, one big one too, is just being consistently the leadoff hitter uh, for this Houston Astros team. that's so good and, and won a world, world championship, world series championship. Um, you know, Springer, Springer has done a, a lot in this sport and, you know, I was really expecting him to potentially have a career year. Uh, last year, I was really disappointed that, that he had a down year. Um, but, you know, he, he had so much raw power when he was a prospect, and we haven't necessarily seen uh, that consistently. We, we've seen him hit 22, 29, but even 29 when it comes with 744 plate appearances is not all that much. It's really just the uh, the one year in 2017 when he hit 34 home runs in 140 games. Uh, you know, we're hoping that he can do even better than that. You know, he's on a, he's on a 40 home run type pace. And, you know, if we're, we're going again back to when 2014, when he was uh, in the minor leagues, I don't think a lot of people thought 40 home run power was all that crazy for George Springer. He hit 20 in his first career, 345 plate appearances, and he hit 36 in his first 180 career games. So uh, a very talented hitter on the hot side of things. Um, you know, I, I don't think we have too much time to discuss them, but uh, two players that I, that I caught on my low OPS numbers for May were Max Kepler and Ozzie Albies. Uh, Ozzie Albies has found himself uh, demoted in certain uh, lineup situations uh, in the Atlanta Braves. It'll be interesting to see if that continues. You know, signed his extension earlier this year, has struggled so far uh, this year. Uh, Max Kepler is the other player uh, hitting under 200. I don't believe, and I do watch a lot of Twins baseball, I don't believe against righties he has been demoted uh, underneath the leadoff position yet, and he still takes pitches well, and he still takes walks well. Um, all that said, you have to imagine for a team uh, that, that's winning, like the Twins, you know, it's, it's hard to make change when you're winning, but at the same time, when your leadoff hitter is obviously uh, not pulling his weight in those situations, uh, you want to keep winning. You know, You want to stay ahead of the curve, uh, and it'll be interesting to see uh, what the twins do because, you know, the main reason I've been getting higher and higher on Max Kepler is the potential that he leads off for the team year round and is a hundred run threat. Uh, if he's not leading off, I go back to where I thought of him at the beginning of the season, which is that he's not a very good batter or batting average hitter. Uh, and his only real chance at, at big value is if he happens to 
to have a big increase in home runs. Um, we are running a little short on time, so uh, if you have any thoughts on Max Kepler or Ozzy Albies, uh, you can go ahead and let them air out. But uh, also, if you want to just move on to your streamers uh, afterwards, that's that's fine as well. I think with Albies, you know, you, you got to remember too. I'm not saying a sophomore slump, but I, I think it's just going to be adjustment for him where he has struggled you know, with something. So I, I think that could be one of the best things is to get him, you know, uh, lower. I, I think uh, lower in the lineup. I think he was hitting seventh, if I'm not mistaken, uh, uh, yesterday or six. I, I, I want to say it was Austin Riley, then Albies, or there's one player in, in between both of them. Because I thought Riley was hitting six and then Albies seventh and then the uh, uh, catcher pitcher. But, uh, you know, it, 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 he, he'll bounce back. He is a solid hitter. It's just a, if you think about it, really, it's the first uh, – first sign of struggle we've seen early, early into the season because last year you know if you did see some struggle was you know after the all-star break when when uh you know he's had a, a, a whole lot of bats under his belt but um same time with Kepler too you, you got to remember these players are human we'll talk about it you know and you know we talk about things but we, we forget they're human he just got signed to that extension in the off season. you can't tell me that maybe you're starting to see some stress too where if you are struggling and you start thinking about the fact that this team believes in you, they have faith in you, they give you a bunch of money, so now you're set and they're like, we want you to be better than you were last year where you were 20 home runs, you know, 19 the year before than that, you know, the season before that. So, you know, I think it just could be uh, pressing for him. But, I mean, if you look at their numbers, there are a lot of players doing a, a, a lot worse than him. So, you know, it'll take some some uh, sign for him, uh, or excuse me, some uh, adjustments for him. And you know, again, he's coming off. He he's he's been he's played in better parts of you know technically five, but really four four seasons. And you know, he, uh, uh, last year in 2017 were his first two years of you know a full season of of at bat. So you know, it's going to be adjustments. But that is one of the positive things is that. You know, what I like about having Rocco Baldelli as this manager is you know, Baldelli's still young. He's still young. He can relate to these players. So, uh, and, and, and the fact that he has this team playing well, they're one of the top two teams in Major League Baseball right, uh, right now in terms of record. So, you know, when your team's winning like that, it, it, it definitely does, you know, let you breathe a sigh of relief seeing that, you know, I might be struggling, but the team's winning. I'm going to battle through this. You know, and when the team's going and winning and everyone has that positive attitude, even in the clubhouse, it makes slumps a hell of a lot easier to work through. So, you know, that's one of the positive things. Um, yeah, jumping into streamers, you know, I was kind of looking at it. I just I know we're running out of time, so just a few, you know, a few out there, uh, one per day. Uh, tomorrow, Cole Irvin at home uh, versus Colorado. I, I liked what I saw uh, in his first start for Philly there, um, you know, Sunday at Kansas City, seven innings pitch, five hits, one earned run, one walk, and five Ks. One of the best things that I liked, I mean, if you think of a young guy, dude, I mean, 64 or 93 pitches were for strikes. So he was throwing the ball. He was getting the ball over the plate. He was throwing strikes. You know, he was out there hungry, and he was hitting corners. And, you know, for me, just for a guy coming out and, 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 and you know, the nerves, clearly didn't get the best of him as he has a phenomenal stat line there. And, you know, through through the season at Triple uh, A Lehigh there, 2.25 ERA, 1.22 whip, 36 innings pitched, 23 uh, uh, strikeouts they walk. So, you know, he's been consistent. He throws strikes. Um, Colorado, they have shown, you know, some struggles. They've had some injuries. They're really not, even at this point in, in May here, they're not 
the offense that we're going to see here within the next month or two as it really starts to heat up. So I think this is the best time to really go after an offense that's not going to be you know, where they're at in the next two months. They're, they're really going to be well, well above you know where they're at right now. So, you know, Cole Irvin's a guy to look at. Um, Saturday, John Means for Baltimore at, uh, at Cleveland. So far on the season, he, he really has been solid. I would have been shocked. I wouldn't have ever named anyone on Baltimore's uh, starting pitching staff to go after. But, I mean, on the season, 2-3-3 ERA I can live with. Solid. 1.03 whip. For me, also looking deeper, 33-10 to 10 K to walk. So that's good. And, you know, one of the cool things looking at, he's pitched in more games than, you know, six starts. But he's had six starts. And he's only had one of those starts where he's given up more than one earned run. And, you know, so he's been about as solid as it can get. And, yeah, I mean, you're looking for a streamer, looking for a guy that should be available on that waiver wire, not highly owned, a, a solid guy. And, and, you know, someone you can pair really, you know, uh, again, too, what I want to say in terms of pairing, Cleveland, their offense, too, we've seen struggles. Jose Ramirez isn't where he's going to be in the next few months, too. He will be better. Lindor's, you know, he, he's he's come out and he's played for, he's played very well since he's come off the DL. But again, these hitters are going to get hot too, and I have a feeling they're just going to get everyone going at once here soon. So, you know, putting Means uh, versus Cleveland at home right now, I think it's a it's a viable option. And, and last streamer, I had really had to dig deep for for Sunday, but I looked at Trent Thornton uh, at uh, Sunday for the Blue Jays against the White Sox. I mean, if you look at his numbers, they're not crazy, crazy eye popping. But if you look at it, for me, the strikeouts, if you're going to be looking at that, he, he's averaged five per game start. But at the same time, he has walked two and a half guys uh, per start. So, uh, you know, and at, at times, too, that can be high. But the guy's not getting any run support. I mean, he's lost uh, a number of games by three runs or less. So, you know, that that could be something. And, you know, Vlad Guerrero Jr. finally got on the board with the home runs there. So, you know, maybe that could give them a boost. But, uh uh, at the same time, you know, I, I say Thornton numbers have, have been mediocre, but, you know, he, he does average five strikes uh, strikeouts a game. And one thing I did want to point out, the White Sox, they've been a fun team to watch. They truly have. You know, Tim Anderson's really led the way. This team's, you know, done better. Their, their, their pitching staff has pitched a hell of a lot better than it has the, the first month of the season. But one thing I wanted to point out why Thornton might be a viable option for Sunday is you know, they're – their last seven games, they've had the eighth highest team total strikeouts. They've been at the bottom in terms of wanting to draw a walk. They may be 16th in hits and, you know, tied for seventh in home runs. So what that does tell me, this team is going up there and they're being aggressive. They're going up there kind of like with an attitude, if you, uh, the attitude that you might hear from Javier Baez where, you know, I don't get paid to take walks. I go up there to hit home runs. And, you know, I, I, I always remember that when I, when I see stats like this because, you know, the White Sox, they are hitting home runs, they're getting hits, but they're going up there and they're striking out a lot and they're not taking walks. So, you know, with an over-aggressive team like that and a, and a pitcher that is averaging five strikeouts per game, the fact that one thing that does scare me is those two and a half walks per start. But again, if he is going off uh, outside the zone and you're playing better teams that aren't going to chase, that'll hurt you. But if you see a team like this White Sox, uh, how they are with the, the, the numbers that they have, that tells me that they could be aggressive in these pitches outside the zone. They could chase, and that could lead to a solid uh, strikeout rate for Trent Thornton. 
Yeah, you bring up the White Sox. Um, just glancing, I don't have the actual K to BB numbers, but looking at uh, both numbers individually, I do think the White Sox might have the worst K to BB uh, of any team in the month of May. Um, you know, Tim Anderson and Yohan Moncada are both incredibly explosive players, but it, it really just comes down to being able uh, to avoid them on their on the days that they happen to explode. They are uh, players that you can get for strikeouts. You know, I'm still high relative to earlier uh, or before the season on Yohan Moncada, even though he struck out a little bit more uh, and, and fallen down a little bit, uh, you know, from where he was at the beginning of the year, because I do think he's still making – uh, slightly better contact, but ultimately he is still a guy who is going to have a high strikeout rate. I mean, the idea behind his improvement was that it wouldn't be, uh, you know, much higher than 30%, you know, and maybe even settles down 27, 28% as a legitimate improvement uh, over what was a, still a decent hitter last year with a much higher strikeout rate. Um, we'll move on, uh, or excuse me, uh, not move on, but uh, I, I have a couple lists of just you know, matchups that, that I was looking at, uh, not necessarily for streamers, but, you know, uh, what I like to do is I like to look at the teams uh, that I think can, can create these low-scoring matchups uh, and, and wonder if, if those are the ones to target either in DFS or streaming. Um, you mentioned Thornton. Also, Aaron Sanchez has a, a very low ownership percentage. Uh, that, that Chicago White Sox-Toronto Blue Jays matchup uh, features Ivan Nova, Lucas Giolito, and Ronaldo Lopez, according to uh, the fantasy forecaster. That has a potential for uh, a low-scoring series. Uh, the Baltimore-Cleveland series you mentioned means, uh, but also Rodriguez. and uh, Cleveland's throwing out two starters that, that aren't any of their big-name guys, um, so, so that could be interesting. Um, the Kansas City at L.A. series, I think, could be a sneaky one. Uh, if you can find any streamers in that series, that's a series that I could see uh, being particularly low scoring. Um, and then depending on the ownership of the the trio of Miami stars that are fairly young, um, they get the Mets. Um, the Mets are still a good lineup, but the Mets are a good lineup, but they have been uh, shakier as of late. Um, you know, Jeff McNeil left the game today with a slight injury. I don't know if it's anything serious. Um, but but something worth monitoring, at least in the short term, is, is even a, a three-day injury can take them out of the lineup for these three streaming days. Um, you know, we only have a couple minutes left, so uh, if there's anything you'd like to say uh, before heading out, uh, go ahead, Kyle. And uh, if not, I, I'll uh, see you next Thursday. Uh, real quick, I, I mean, you were talking about matchups. I, I think one of the most uh, intriguing ones for me this weekend, uh, Milwaukee at Atlanta starting tomorrow, um, both teams second in their divisions, Milwaukee second in NL uh, Central, uh, Atlanta second in NL East. And, you know, you know, for me, these are two offenses that, you know, are pretty successful. One of the things I really want to key in uh, are the pitching matchups because, you know, there's no doubt about it. Atlanta has a hell of a lot better starting rotation than Milwaukee. And, you know, Friday's matchup, we got Julius Gossin versus Kevin Gosman. Gosman's pitched extremely well. On the season Saturday, Chase Anderson versus Max Fried. Max Fried has pitched well too, and then Sunday, Brandon Woodruff versus Mike Poltenowitz. Again, I want to see if the old adage pays true, and you know, pitching beats good hitting. And you know, again, I, I, I said both of these teams have solid offenses. Again, Atlanta's pitching staff is by far better than, than Milwaukee. So, you know, that, that's one of the, the key matchups that I'll be paying to this this weekend. Um, Cole, awesome again. 
I enjoyed being on the show with you, and enjoy your weekend, and I will see you next week. Yep, have a good weekend, and see you next week, Kyle. And that will about wrap us up for the Major League Fantasy Baseball radio show today on Thursday, May 16th. Uh, I will be back as co-host on Sunday's show with host Brian Roach. And me and Kyle, if you enjoyed today's show, uh, we'll be back next week, Thursday, May 23rd, uh, for our live show broadcasting at 7.30 Eastern on Block Talk Radio. Uh, Thank you very much for tuning in, and see you next week. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.